Good morning, everyone. So good to see everybody today. Hopefully you, you made it in, didn't get too wet, right? Um, believe it or not, it's actually like snowing up in the mountains. Isn't that wild? I saw a video earlier at Blue River just covered in snow. They were getting out the plows. So crazy. All of you guys are like, that's too bad because I planted tomatoes in my garden yesterday, <laughs> right? They're not going to make it. I'm sorry. No, no, maybe they will. Okay, we'll pray for them. But it was so good to see everybody this morning. We've been in this sermon series called, um, what is it called? You've heard it said. We have a code name, and I almost said that one, so I was like, I need to say the right name for this. But we've been, been in this sermon series about the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' sermon, right? So in, in the Gospels, that means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible, that's the story of Jesus written by Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Isn't that great? They just made it so easy for us. And so it's their account of Jesus when he was walking on the earth. And in those, we see that this sermon that he gives. Now, if you're going to listen today to this sermon, right, you might forget it tomorrow. Just don't tell me. Okay, just pretend like you didn't forget it tomorrow. But if, you, if we heard Jesus telling a sermon, we'd probably want to listen. Is that right? And so we've been spending the last couple months going through Jesus' sermon. This happened in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Pastor Jake has been encouraging us to read those three chapters every single week. Now, if you read those chapters every single week, I want you to loudly and proudly lift up your hand. Hey! You guys are amazing. Good job. Awesome. Come on, guys. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. If you are sitting there and you're feeling bad, listen, that was 99% of the people in the room. So you don't need to feel bad, right? We are right there with everybody else. Okay, I'll be honest. Every Sunday I came and he would say, remember, I'm encouraging you to read those chapters. And every single Sunday I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do that this week. And then Sunday would come so fast. And I'd be sitting there, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> shoot. Ah, shoot. You know, uh, Jake and I, we, we, when it comes to, like, small decisions in our life, we're actually pretty indecisive. And he, sometimes he talks about that, how sometimes we'll sit in our car for, like, 30 minutes because we can't decide where to get lunch. So on Sundays, you know, if you just sit, see us sitting in our car, and you're like, man, they're really going through some stuff. No, we just can't decide. We can't decide where to go, right? It's today, some, half the Sundays, I'll make something at home, and so then it's like, oh, good. It's already dis- decided for us. That's this Sunday, so we're good. Good to go. Doesn't mean anyone's going to like it that I'm serving it to, but at least the decision has been made. But we're not very good at, at making those small decisions. In fact, over um, the, this last summer, we did some remodeling in our house, and, and Ed Dasso, his crew, they did it, and they did like the most amazing, gorgeous job. It's like so awesome. It's so amazing. But he would ask us questions like every day. He'd be like, okay, guys, um, what kind of light switches do you want? And we'd be like, ones that turn on. Like, there's different kinds? I went down to the hardware store one day and was supposed to find the kind. I was like, Ed, there's like 50,000 light switches here. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I want white, I guess. I don't know, right? Okay, hey guys, uh, what, what kind of uh, lights did you want here? It's like, I don't know. Hey guys, what kind of doorknobs? There's different kinds? You know, some of you guys are like, yes, there is. Come on. But we, we were like, well, I don't know. At some point, you're going to have to make the decisions for us. We don't know what we want to do. But today, I want to talk to you about certain things in our life. It's very important that we aren't indecisive. As a society today, I think a lot of times we think, well, if I don't make a decision, then I don't have to think about this yet. 
And we do this with our spirituality. Okay, I come on Sunday, I hear these messages, but if I, if I don't commit, if I don't make a decision about it, then I don't need to worry about it. To, you know, today, Pastor Jake, he was talking about forgiving, and it kind of was hitting me funny. But you know what, if I just don't make a decision about what I think about it yet, then I don't need to worry about it. But the truth is, is that when it comes to our spiritual walk with God, when it comes with getting to know him, those indecisions really are decisions. At the very end of the Sermon of the Mount, in Matthew 7, Jesus says this in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. What words? Okay, okay, well, who, everyone who hears God's words? No, he's talking about the whole sermon he just told, right? He's talking about all of those things I've just said to you. And if you were sitting there, I don't even know how long this sermon was. It was three chapters of the Bible, so it had to be pretty long. So maybe you were sitting there and you were like, I didn't take notes. What am I going to do now, right? Some of you guys are sitting here today and you're like, I didn't take notes in the last sermons. What am I going to do now? But he's saying, did you hear the words I just said? If you will do them, if you hear them and then you will do them, you will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. These people who were hearing Jesus, listening to Jesus, they were used to people teaching about God. They were used to wise people getting up, speaking about God, and them listening to them. But every time people listened to Jesus, it would say they were astonished at the authority he had. Why? Because he wasn't just a scribe. He wasn't just a wise person. He was the son of God and he was giving them the words of life. And what he's saying here is that every single one of us is building a house. You, every single day, we're building a house. It's our life, right? We're building it on something. And he says, if you hear my words and you do them, you're building your house on a rock. And when a storm comes and the winds beat it and the rains beat it, your house will stay. Your house will stand. And I think that we tend to think, well, you know, if I, if I haven't committed yet, it's okay, and then I will build. Once I commit, then I will build my house. But what he's saying here is no matter what, you are building a house. Whether you're ready to build your house or not, you are building the house. It is here. It is when the day you were born, you started building your house. So he's saying, what are you building your house on? Every single day, all of us, we are given advice everywhere, right? We turn on the radio and they give you advice. You turn on social media and they give you advice. You drive down the belt line and every single one of those um, billboards is giving you advice. They're telling you what kind of pediatric dentist to go to and that Jerry's is the only place, right? Yeah. We all live here. We know. We've seen these. These are the advice that we get. We get it. We got all sorts of advice from our parents or we got all sorts of advice from the school that we went to. All of those things are telling you, this is how you should build your house. You're going to build a house with your life and this is how you should do it. And our whole life, every decision that we make, we're building the house. And what Jesus is saying is if you don't build your house on my words, then when the rain comes, when the storm hits, your house is going to fall. 
We were just in Mexico and we were at this house that was built quite a long time ago. And it's built like right on a cliff and it was a sandy cliff. And they had it all like, uh, I don't, I can't think of what it's called, rebar or whatever where you make it so the cliff stops falling. And so my kids were talking about that this week. They were talking about what would happen if you built your house on a hill? And I was reminding them of that house that we stayed in and how they had to reinforce it. Because really, I mean, it's built on sand. So they're having to do all these things to make sure that this house doesn't fall away. But what Jesus is saying is, if you will build your life on my words, on my teaching, then your, your house will not fall away. So how do we do this practically? You know, this week, my six-year-old, she, um, I heard her in the other room loudly proclaim that she hated her other sibling which maybe your kids have never said that. Congratulations, parent of the year. No, just kidding. I would say the only way that your kid has never said that is maybe they're too young to talk yet. I don't know. But my child, yes, they, they are not perfect. They, one of them yelled, you know, I hate you. So I said, come here, I need to talk to you. And I start talking to them. Hey, do you really hate your sister? Absolutely. And she's giving me all the reasons why, right? You know, and I'm like, I know that you're angry and know that you're frustrated but deep down do you really hate your sister you know like no well did you know in the bible jesus said when you hate someone it's just like you're murdering them you know into her eyes kind of big you know and i'm like do you would you would you murder someone no Right? And I'm talking her through it. What can we do? I understand why you're frustrated. I live in this house too, right? I get it. But what, what, how can we respond? What can we do? Why, why am I doing that? Why would I be talking to a six-year-old about that? Because in my life, I'm doing everything I can to build my house on God's word. To build my house on his foundation. Does that mean I get it right? No. Does that mean that I'm perfect? Absolutely not. That means that, man, there's probably lots of things where I'm throwing a little sand in. But I'm doing my best to intentionally build my house on his word. And I want our kids to see us intentionally building our house, our lives, on the word of God. So it's not enough for me to just say, you can't hate because I told you so. You can't hate because mommy doesn't like that word. You can't hate because in our society, that's not acceptable. That's not enough to make a house stand when it gets hit by a storm. She has to know there's a reason. The Bible says do not hate. And we are all building our lives on this Bible. We're all doing it together. So he says we don't hate. And so that's why we don't hate. It's something concrete for her to begin to build her life upon. And it's the same way for us. It's something concrete for us to begin to build our life upon. You are building your life on something, whether you realize it or not. If you're not intentionally building it on Jesus' teachings and example, then you're building on sinking sand. And this is so important. We're going to move ahead to Matthew uh, chapter 21. And today, we went and got coffee this morning and written on top of my cup on the lid, it said, happy Sunday before Easter Sunday. And you know, I was like, okay. I kind of laughed and I told Jake, I said, if only there was a shorter name for the today. <laughs> if only there was a shorter name. There is. It's called Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. It's much shorter than Sunday before Easter Sunday. 
But it's called, it's called Palm Sunday because of what happens here in Matthew 21, happens the week before Easter. And we're going to read it right now. It's called the Triumphant Entry. Uh, chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. They, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So this is an interesting story that happens to Jesus. He's with his disciples and he tells them, you know, go into the city, go get this coal. It's going to be, you know, tied to this tree, right? He's giving them very specific instructions. And to the disciples, they're probably thinking, oh, Jesus is telling us to go steal an animal. That's interesting. So they're like, uh, what should we say when the owner says, what are you doing? <laughs> And he said, just tell him the Lord has need of it, which apparently was enough, okay? So they go and they get the donkey, they bring it. And what, what was happening here? It's, it's, it's kind of interesting if you don't know the context. But what was really happening here is that there's all of these prophecies in the Old Testament, all of these prophecies that all of these Jewish people knew about their coming Messiah. In the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we, we hear the story of Adam and Eve and they sin, right? They make this problem, they disobey God. And God, right? Right in that moment, in the very beginning, prophesies or tells the future about Jesus. He points and he says, there is a Messiah that will come and will make all of this right. There's a Savior who will come and make all this right. And he's pointing to Jesus. And so throughout those thousands of years, the Jewish people are looking, they're waiting for this Messiah to come, this Savior to come. And there's different prophecies that are told about him when he will come. And some of those talk about him riding on a donkey. Some of those talk about him where the people will say, Hosanna to the highest. So what was happening in this moment when Jesus is coming into the city riding this donkey is all of those prophecies are being fulfilled. Now, for the Jewish people, they had different times where people did rise up and say, hey, I'm the Messiah, right? I'm it. And then it never, it never worked out. They were never it. It wasn't true. And so far in Jesus's ministry, anytime anyone is like, hey, are you the Messiah? Because remember what he said? They said that when he spoke, he spoke with authority. So they know something is up with this guy. So he would ask him, hey, are you the Messiah? And he would usually not really answer. But in this moment, he is proudly proclaiming, it's me. I'm here. Here I am. It, when they were laying down their coats, this city that they're in, Jerusalem, it's not huge. In my head, I always think of it as a massive city, you know, with millions of people. But the city is literally smaller than, than even Springfield would be. It's a small city. And it's saying that everyone heard what was going on. Everyone is seeing something is happening. The people are coming out and they're laying down their coats. This was something people would do if a king rode through a city. They would lay down their coats in front of him. It was like where we get the saying, rolling out the red carpet. It was like that. It was they're rolling out the red carpet for this king. Why did he ride a donkey? 
It was traditional that a king would ride a, a horse if it was during wartime, but they would ride a donkey during peacetime. And he was symbolizing, I'm bring, ushering in a kingdom of peace. There was all of these signs, all of these symbols, even the fact that it's saying all, all the gospels say that he was an unbroken donkey, meaning that it wasn't tame, it wasn't really supposed to be ridden. And so it should have really flipped out in this crowd, all of these people. He's riding it, all these people running, yelling, you know, singing, all of these things happening, but it didn't. The donkey just rode right through. Why? Because he's God. He even controls the donkey. And then even what they're saying to them, Hosanna in the highest. I always thought this meant something like praise you, right? It's just one of our words we use for worship. But this week I was reading, it actually means save us. Save us. So they were laying down these things and they were saying to Jesus, save us, save us. We have a quote here I'm going to read to you about this moment. If you guys will put that on the screen for me. It says, the scene was nothing less than a royal procession. And it's referring back to 2 Kings. That's one of the prophecies I was talking about. Yet up until this point, Jesus had consistently avoided such displays. However, he was now ready to present himself publicly as the Messiah and the King. This was Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem, and he chose to enter in such a way as to leave no doubt that he was the promised Messiah who had come to save the nation. No one in the city could possibly miss the procession or the prophecy-fulfilling reference Jesus' entry conveyed. This is a big deal that Jesus is making. And you might wonder, why, why didn't he make a big deal early on? Why didn't he, from the very beginning, tell everybody that he was the Messiah and the King? And the reason is, is because only four days later, Jesus is arrested. That, this is right before Easter, which means on the Friday, that's when Jesus is crucified on the cross. So on Sunday, a whole town is celebrating him. And by Thursday, they're arresting him. Something happened in those times, and Jesus knew it would happen. The minute I come out and declare that I'm not just the Messiah, but I'm also the king, is going to be the end. And the reason is, is because the people didn't want a Messiah and a king. You see, I think every single one of us know deep down that we need a savior. I mean, every single one of us, if you've lived even a few days on this earth, you're already like, man, I messed that up. <laughs> shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have thought that, right? We know, I mean, every, whenever I do things, I seem to mess up. <laughs> you guys, am I the only one in here that feels that way? Every day I'm like, whoo, whoopsie-daisy, okay, thank you, Lord, I need a Savior. We know deep down, I need a Savior. That's why we look to other things to save us. For some of us, we look to relationships to save us. We might look to alcohol or drugs or something to save us. We look to schooling and a career. If I get everything in order, if I control everything just perfectly, we look to money to save us. Because the truth is, every single one of us know we need a Savior. But Jesus wasn't coming to just be a Savior. He was also coming, and in that day, they were saying, you are also king. And that's what he does for every single one of us. He's not only the Savior, he's also the King. 
And so how come four days later they would be arresting him? Even when they arrest him, they put him on trial and they said it's a total just shame of a trial. They have all these people they've hired to give this evidence and none of it even makes sense. None of it, it's all contradicting each other. And finally, Herod is like, this guy's innocent. Why did you even arrest him? We can't do anything with him. He hasn't done anything wrong. And the people are so outraged that they won't punish Jesus, that they begin to yell for a murderer to be released to them. They would rather have a murderer living with them than to have Jesus living with them. I have three reasons here why I think this is, the people did this. The first one is they wanted Jesus to save them on their own terms. They knew they needed a savior, but they wanted him to save them the way they wanted to be saved. And specifically, the Jews in this time, they, they're not the ruling power. The Romans are the ruling power. And the Romans tax them horribly. The Romans are mean to them. It's not a great place to live. So in their mind, when Jesus comes, Jesus is here. He's the Messiah. He's going to be our political leader and change everything right now. They wanted Jesus to save them on their own terms. And that's not what Jesus came to do. He had no intention to be their king, their political power. The second one is they wanted Jesus to save only them. They wanted the Savior to only save Jews. But as we know, Jesus came to save everyone. He wasn't interested in saving only certain people or only good people or only, you know, the people who were born the right way. He was interested in saving everyone. And the third one is they wanted a savior, not a king. I think this is so interesting in this passage that they're saying this is the moment that he's publicly saying, I am the Messiah and I'm king. I'm not just one. I'm not just here to save you. I'm also declaring I'm in charge. We don't really know what it's like to live with a king, right? We have a president, we have governors, we have, but honestly, I'm, I'm king at my house, right? I don't know about you guys. It's like when the kids are like, hey, we're going to watch our show. And Jake's like, no, you're not. I'm going to play a game or whatever, you know? Like, you know, we're not really used to having a king. But that's what Jesus is saying. That's who he is. Is he's not just a savior. He is a king. So I wrote those, those three points. I wrote them out again for us. Because I think we're the same way as those people in Jerusalem where we say, oh great, there's a savior, good, I'm glad, I'm so glad you're here, I definitely need to be saved. But then when Jesus says, no, I'm actually also king, and I want you to build your life on what I say to build it on, that's when we say, no, I was, I'm in for the savior part. I'm wanting you to save me. But I don't even agree with everything that you want me to build my life on. You see, a king, it doesn't really matter what my opinion is, does it? It matters what he says. You see, we want salvation on our own terms. Oh, man, I need God to save me from this. But then when God says, I'm also saving you from this, we say, what? 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 No, I don't want to be saved from that. I actually enjoy that. He says, no, I'm saving you from all of it. We want a savior we want salvation on our own terms. We only want salvation for those we deem worthy. It's difficult to see a Savior who wants to save the people who've hurt you. 
It's difficult to acknowledge that a Savior wants to save everyone. The people who have hurt you, the people who have broken their promises, the people who have betrayed you, the people who have done evil against you, the people that you don't agree with, the people that you're pretty sure God will never save that political party, the, the people that you're pretty sure God would never save anybody in that country, the people that you despise. Jesus didn't come to just save the people that we wanted him to save. He came to save all of us. He came to save everyone. We have the, Jake has a funny saying that he says at church that God, why don't we come and say it wrong? God loves the people that you hate, and thank God, because people hate you. <laughs> right? You guys are like, not me. Nobody hates me. Oh, they do. <laughs> Closer than you think. Okay, I'm just kidding. We, we want to pick who God saves. We want to pick who's worthy of salvation. And the last one is we don't want a king. We really don't want a king. We want to be king. And that's kind of the American spirit. We threw off having a king. We didn't want a king, right? No taxation without representation. We didn't want a king. But there is a king. And he came boldly into Jerusalem. And he said, I'm here. I'm the savior of the world. But I'm also the king of the world. And we have to accept him as both. So how will my life change? If I do this, Bethany, if I, what's the, really the big difference? Okay, I, I'm a Christian. What's the big difference, though, if Jesus really is my king? What would it change? If, how will my life change if Jesus is king? The first thing I said was, I am made on purpose for a purpose. This is, you know, our saying right over here on this board. And it's not just a trite saying. It really, if you really believe I am made on purpose for a purpose, it will change your life. It will begin to change the way that you think. You see, in the world today, we have lots of information telling you that you were made completely on accident. You weren't made at all. You're just an effect of biology. You're just a cosmic whoopsie. And maybe even in your own life, you were told you were a mistake, or you were told you were an accident, or you were told you weren't wanted. You see, if we really begin to get this worldview that, no, there is a God, and he created humans, he created us, and he created me and you personally, then it should change the way that we live. You see, if I'm not, if I'm just an accident, then who cares how I live? If I'm just a biological, you know, thing that happened, what does it matter what I do with my life? But if I was created with purpose, then that means I have purpose. It matters what I do. It matters the decisions that I make. It matters the things that I do with my body because I was created with purpose and for purpose. If Jesus is king, then it matters what you do. The second thing, if Jesus really is king, then that means truth is knowable. We live in an age today where it's easy to just write everything off because who knows? There's no way to know what real truth is. There's no way to know what's really right or wrong. Well, if Jesus really is king, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means he's saying, I am the truth. You can know truth. You don't have to live your life wondering. You don't have to live your life in uncertainty. You can know the truth. And the Bible says that the truth will set you free. 
that you don't have to walk around in bondage. You don't have to walk around in addiction. You don't have to walk around in pain and sorrow because once you know the truth, it sets you free. See, if I build my house, if I build my life on the foundations of Jesus, even when I don't necessarily always agree with them, there's things I read that are hard to understand. There's things I read in the Bible that don't make sense. But if I say, God, I'm putting my trust in you. You are king. You know more than me. I'm going to build my life on this. That means that when those storms hit, I'm still standing. When waves hit, I'm still standing. When the wind blows, I'm still standing. In the story of the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock, they both still had a huge storm. Me following Jesus doesn't mean I don't have storms. It means I can still be standing in them. Truth is knowable. And there is truth outside of your own thoughts. So many times we just default to whatever I think must be true. How many of you guys have ever been in an argument and you knew you were right? Oh, you saw it so clearly. This is me in every argument. I got it exactly right. And then all of a sudden, someone tells you and your perspective changes and you realize, wow, I was wrong. You see, we really trust our own thoughts. It's important, especially today, in today's world, that we realize there is truth outside of my own thoughts. And there's a way to know truth. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. And the last thing is, how will my life change if Jesus is king? I live to do the will of the king. It changes what we do with our life. This is the whole thing that Jesus did. He kept saying over and over, I do the will of my father. He was talking about God. He had a whole purpose to his life. He knew he was made on purpose, that he was sent to the earth for a purpose. And continually he said, I'm doing the will of my father. I'm doing the will of my father. What is that saying? I'm doing the will of the king. There is a king, it's not me. And I'm actually here to do his will. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is right before Jesus is arrested and he, he has a picture of what is going to come ahead. And he doesn't want to do it. It sounds terrible, it sounds awful. He's looking ahead at the cross. He's looking ahead at this crucifixion. It actually says that when Jesus was on the cross that God turned his face away. So he's seeing this that's going to happen ahead of him, and he prays to God, and he says, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Would you take it away? And then what does he keep saying? Not my will, but your will be done. This is the kind of devotion that Jesus wants from every single one of his followers. Not that you're going to go to a cross, and it's actually going to be way easier, right, compared to that. But it's the point that we would say, God, you're asking me to do this, or you're asking me to live this way, or you're asking me to change the way that I think, or you're asking me to make this big decision that I'm not sure about, and I don't want to do it. But not my will. Your will be done, God. Your will be done in my life. This doesn't mean that we do this every day perfectly, but it means that every day we say, God, I took over the reins again, right? I got back in the driver's seat and I forgot that you're king. And I'm putting my, the control back into your hands, God. I'm putting it back over to you. You are the king of my life. You are the only way that I'm going to be able to have a sure foundation. So today I was just praying that every single one of us would leave today feeling closer to God, taking a step closer towards him, 
but also recognizing he doesn't only want to save me. He's also the king. He's also in charge. He's also God. And that we'd walk today in that humility saying, God, it's not me. I'm not the king. And every time I get back in the reins, I usually make a mistake. <laughs> right in the ditch, right? <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Whoa, okay, help me get out. Okay, I'm going to need a tow truck. Right? And that's okay. But it's us every day going to the cross symbolically and saying, again, God, I'm dying to myself. It's not my will be done. It's your will be done. So in this room right now, if you just close your eyes and bow your head, I'm going to pray. I want you to know this is, I'm on this with you. All, every single Christian is in this together. Every single one of us has this struggle that says, God, I need you to save me. But God, I also need you to be king in my life. God, I need to keep giving you control daily of my life. So we're all in this together where we have to keep surrendering to him. So I'm just going to pray for all of us. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you are the king. I thank you that there is no one like you. There is no one just like you. There is no one holy like you. There is no one good like you. God, we love you. You are so awesome, Lord. We thank you that you have created each and every one of us, that you know each person in this room by name, God. I thank you that there is no one in this place who is forgotten by you. And Lord, I just pray that you will help every single one of us to today take another step towards putting all of our faith in you, entrusting you, God. I pray that every person in this room will even more today say, I'm, I'm ready to build my foundations on the words and the ways of Jesus. Will you help us to build our houses right? In Jesus' name. And if you guys can just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're in this room and you say, hey, I don't, I have, I do know deep inside that I need a savior. And I haven't found what's going to save me yet. We're here to tell you that it's Jesus. There is no salvation. There is no saving outside of Jesus Christ. He came on this earth as the only God who would come and live like his creation and live perfect life. It says that in every way he was tempted, in every way that we are tempted, he was tempted, except he never sinned. He never did wrong. And then looking forward to Friday, this Friday is technically called Good Friday because we remember it as the day that Jesus died for every single one of us. And then next week, Easter, when Jesus, he not only died, but then he came back to life, conquering sin, conquering death for you. And I want you to know today, there is no salvation outside of Jesus. There is no hope outside of a relationship with Jesus. And if you're here in this room and you say, I don't know him, we want to help you get to know him. So if you're saying today, hey, I want to start this journey. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to get to know him. Will you just lift up your hand? Thank you. Thank you. There's no one looking around. We're not doing this. Thank you to embarrass you. We're doing this because it's like a, an act of faith for you to say, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. Anybody else in this room? Just lift up your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? We're going to say a prayer together. It's not like the perfect prayer. It's not you have to get all the words right. No, it's just a way for you to verbalize that you're recognizing that Jesus is God and that you're asking him to save you. So right now, if everyone in the room, if you'll just repeat after me, Jesus, thank you for saving me. 
God, I didn't even know I needed a Savior. And you are already saving me. Thank you. Thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. God, I know I've done wrong. I know I've messed up. Will you forgive me? Will you help me be like you? Will you teach me to build my house the way that you want it built? I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.